This is the We Can Do Better podcast with Adam O'Leary, talking about Michigan's 2nd Senate District, featuring stories from Detroit, Gross Point, Amtramic, Harper Woods, and Highland Park, told by the people doing the work, and myself, Senator Adam O'Leary. This is Senator Adam Olier, and I'm here with Professor Rachel Cole from the University of Michigan, and uh, she's joining us in kind of a unique situation after a pretty ridiculous committee hearing last week, um, and that was your second time waiting four hours to speak and still not getting an opportunity to do so, right? Yeah, that's that's true. I waited for all of the hearings that happened, uh, the whole hearing that happened last Thursday, and then I waited since 2.30 uh, on Wednesday, um, when the meeting started a little later and went to just about seven, and I again didn't get called. Well, that's no good, <laughs> but you know, we're excited about giving you the opportunity to talk here, and um, uh, you know, my colleagues and I sent the uh, chairman a letter to ask that you be included in next week's committee and that you are at first, so hopefully that'll happen. Uh, but Rachel, do you wanna just kind of give us a little bit of background about yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Yeah, so I, I'm a law professor at the University of Michigan Law School, and I direct the Workers' Rights Clinic there. The Workers' Rights Clinic was formerly named the Unemployment Insurance Clinic, but we changed our name in the fall. And primarily, uh, of the cases we have, we represent between two to 300 people a year. And we represent people who have been denied unemployment benefits. And so we help give them access, and we usually will take their... Um, their negative denial to an administrative law judge and have that be heard before the judge in a hearing setting. And um, we have about a 90% success rate at the ALJ level, which is the administrative law, ju administrative law judge level. That's a pretty high uh, response level. So what that sounds like is the overwhelming majority of the claimants should not have been denied. Yes. That's what I have seen over the years of, of practicing unemployment benefits is that there has been a steep amount of over denial uh, for claimants um, really since 2013, which is when the state uh, paid a lot of money to implement a uh, auto adjudication software. It's called mm -hmm. Midas and uh, Midas caused a lot of issues right away off the bat for charging people with fraud wrongly. They issued over 60,000 determinations of fraud and they issued those determinations of fraud at a 93% error rate. And 60,000 determinations of fraud in context is more ish determinations of fraud in those two years than in either of the last two decades. This is a lot of fraud that they charge, and these are a lot of innocent Michiganders that then had to, were getting bills in the mail for over $100,000 because you have to pay back all the benefits you got times four plus interest. Um, so it was, it was a lot, it was a, it was a big deal. And they know, we know that they were issuing that at a 93% error rate. We don't really know anything else, nothing else about the agency's auto adjudication process has been reviewed since it was implemented in 2013. We don't know what's being denied correctly and not um, right now. And so I think there needs to be some review of that. And because of the work that you all were able to do uh, when Governor Whitmer came into office, she stole your director, right? And the new director is uh, actually running unemployment insurance, I know. Him and I had a conversation uh, when he was first uh, thinking about taking the job, and he was saying he never thought he would be running the system that he had been so long, you know, working to get on track. Right. Well, and, and, and really, as far as I'm concerned, Steve's the best person for the job. He is truly one of the only people that I have ever met that is so in favor of, of claimants getting the benefits that they are entitled to by the law. Mm -hmm. um, 
and so um you know he's he's dealing with a lot having to respond <laughs> to uh, a pandemic and having to respond I think it's also important for people to realize that the, the state budget doesn't pay the administration of, of unemployment, uh, the unemployment insurance agency. They get that money from the federal government mm -hmm. and that they get that money based on last year's unemployment rate. Mm -hmm. So, so Steve couldn't have, Mr. Director Gray couldn't have uh, hired more people faster because he was, he didn't have the money to do so. He had to, he had to get it there. And also it takes six weeks to train people. Um, in order, unemployment's complicated, as we are very well aware with the complicated system that's before claimants, unemployment's complicated. And, uh, and so, so what, what we've seen is that um, there's a 93%, you know, you file, your benefits are taken care of. And so depending upon the data that we've looked at, it, it's between seven and 8% of people who are having these more delayed claims. And I know you got the, uh, or you had the dubious honor of having sat through and, and heard a number of people talk through kind of their issues. And, you know, it, it, it just seems like there is a disconnect between how unemployment insurance should work in an ideal environment and how it works in Michigan based on the changes that happened um, in 2013. Can yeah, you and also some of the changes that happened in, in 2011. So mm -hmm. Michigan has one of the most restrictive statutes, the law that says, that governs how the agency is going to respond to unemployment claims. We're, we have one of the most restrictive statutes in the entire country. It's harder to get unemployment benefits in Michigan than almost every other state. Um, and that has to do with a lot of the amendments that the legislature passed over the past decade um, and, and before that as well. But primarily in 2011 is where we saw a, a lot of changes happen that really hurt the, the workers of the state. And, um, and we heard from some of them even at the, at the meeting um, that on Wednesday. We, mm -hmm. Someone named Jeff Lang came and testified and he said that his claim's been holed up and he receives a pension and also his prior job that he voluntarily retired from keeps showing up on his, on his uh, monetary determination, but he's not claiming because of that job. Well, the agency has that job on there because they are required per the law to look at everybody in the base period. And if you leave a job, including retirement, that's disqualifying. And so even though that's not why you're filing now, the agency has to review that and that could disqualify you. That is one of the most restrictive we are one of the most restrictive states in the way that we approach that. Then he also said he had a pension payment, and so he hasn't been paid out. Well, if you're getting a pension, one of the amendments in 2011 was that a pension actually is considered uh, what the agency defines as remuneration or earnings. And you have to report all earnings, including a pension, and that could completely reduce or eliminate your weekly benefit amount. And so he's likely, under the statute, not entitled to benefits. And that's why the agency hasn't paid him benefits. Another person who testified was named Kelsey, and she, uh, she testified that she didn't even qualify for state benefits because she didn't earn enough. And now again, that's another problem that Michigan has. We have one of the hardest monetary eligibility amounts. You have to earn a significant sum in order to even break through the threshold to, to be protected by the safety net that the state, that the state has put in place. Uh, we also are one of the only states in the country that don't provide um, unemployment benefits to part-time workers. So people like Kelsey, Kelsey has uh, had two part-time jobs, she worked at Target and she was a substitute teacher. The substitute teaching job obviously dried up when schools closed. And so she, um, but, and she didn't earn enough to actually qualify for unemployment benefits. But luckily for her, there's PUA, the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program from the federal government. And she tried to file there and she said, I, I keep getting these reduced amounts. Well, she's getting reduced amounts because she works at Target. 
Mm -hmm. you work and you have earnings, that's going to reduce or potentially completely eliminate how much you're actually entitled to. And she's not, she was only entitled to $160 a month or a week. Um, And so if she earned more than $160 per week, she's going to have a a very significant or completely reduced uh, or eliminated amount of, of benefits that she's actually entitled to. It just sounds like our system doesn't work. And I, I think as, as we sit through, uh, as a legislator, as I'm sitting through this committee, as people who are at home, what is the recourse? Like, what should they do? How do they move through this process when a lot of the issues that people seem to be having is they just aren't eligible? Not that the system isn't working, but that they just aren't eligible. So I think the legislature actually needs to take a look at the statute and take a look at what's working and what isn't working. Um, And I think that any time that a law changes, it's going to have an impact. And you got to make sure that it's having the desired impact that you wanted it to have. Now, if the desired impact of of the amendments was to make sure that people don't get benefits, Mm -hmm. then it's maybe... Maybe that's, and if, that, if that's what it was, which I don't think it was, I think that they were trying to make a system that worked for all. I'm going to have the best intentions for why people pass what they pass. And, uh, but at the end of the day, we got to look at what's actually happening on the ground. And are you actually protecting the people with the statute that was designed to protect them? This is a safeguard. This is our only economic safeguard that we have as a state and as a country. Other countries have other, um, even more in-depth safety nets for economic stability. Uh, we have unemployment insurance, and it is a program that we have not funded uh, adequately for decades. It's something that um, the federal, like for example, the federal government who, who that pays the administration costs of the agency hasn't increased the amount that we tax um, since 1982. So this is we're at the same flat rate since 1982, and it's the same amount of money going to fund all unemployment insurance agencies since 1982. That's to expect that agencies are able to fully respond to every crisis immediately uh, when we don't properly fund them, when we don't properly uh, do what we need to do. I mean, you're asking for a miracle to happen. And uh, honestly, what all the unemployment insurance agencies across the state are doing right now is truly Herculean. And the fact Mm -hmm. that Michigan is in the top five in every category and claims paid out in in the setup of PUA. Most states, by the time Michigan had set up PUA and and rolled it out, most states hadn't even considered what they were going to do with the program yet. Michigan was one of the first states to actually do that. Now, again, I've had plenty of problems with, with communicating with the agency. I have had a hard time for years being able to get through to them. I often also got that same uh, dropped call or we've got too many calls and they immediately hang up. Um, and this is something that we've been facing for years, and this is not an unknown problem. So the agency, yes, it does need to figure out how it's going to get better at responding to the people of the state. But as far as denying people benefits, that's something that the statute, it, uh, the legislature has to look at to, to try to figure out how we fix the law to make sure people get benefits. And so even though the current director is a friend, a colleague, someone you've worked with, you're still having challenges with the system because it takes a longer period for us to make these systemic changes. Um, yeah, I mean, talk- I mean, just Steve, Director Gray is, um, he is the same Director Gray to every other group and claimant out there. I, so I don't have any special relationship with him to be able to make claims move faster. Um, <laughs> that's just not going to happen. Uh, he has to, he treats all of us equally as far as being able to make sure that, because uh, he, he, his responsibility isn't to the clinic he left, it's to <laughs> all of the constituents of Michigan now. Um, and he's doing his, his best to make sure that people get paid. Uh, and, and, and they will, if they're eligible under the statute. 
And so can you talk a little bit about that process? I think a lot of people um, are super concerned that, you know, they've been in the queue and they've been uh, certifying or, or they've been going through this process for four weeks or five weeks or six weeks or seven weeks and still haven't gotten through or, or, or gotten through that. Can you walk them through what the recourse is? You know, how do they get covered or how do they reach out to you or someone similar? Yeah, so they're welcome to reach out to the clinic. Um, we are um, a free law clinic that helps as many people as we possibly can. We've already helped over 3,000 people in this state um, already since COVID started. Um, we've had over 3,000 inquiries uh, to date um, and we've been doing our best to help them. And sometimes we are able to tell by the screenshots that they share probably what's happening in their account and what they mm -hmm. should look for next. Um, and other times we don't know. And so sometimes if we don't know, um, we might take their case on for investigation and we'll try to figure it out by getting their whole agency file. We, we use fax over a request to the agency. They send over the file and we try whoa, to Whoa, 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 pause, time out. You're still, you fax over a request to the agency? That's the process that the agency uses. They don't have an email account uh, that you can, so yeah, we still fax. How does that work right now? I mean, how is the faxing working with people working remotely? And it's less ideal, um, <laughs> but I think that uh, the agency are, is still responding to our faxes. Um, it, it's taking them a little longer than normal. Normally we would get a response within 10 days and right now we're maybe two to three weeks, but the, they're gonna do it and they do it. Rachel, um, now they don't pass out their fax number. They're gonna get inundated by people using antiquated technology. <laughs> I mean, their fax number is is very publicized. It's one of the it's one of the options for you to send in an appeals. And I I often recommend if you aren't able to put something in my WAM, mm -hmm. so you have a date stamp of when you actually sent it in, that you should fax it because you get a fax confirmation. That's the reason that we don't have access to my WAM accounts. Oh. I can't. Um, that's something that I've, as a claimant advocate, have been asking the agency uh, to do for years because I don't have any way to look at my. I can't log in to my clients' accounts. Um, I, I don't have a I don't have a grandmaster claimant advocate account that has all my clients in there. I can't I don't have any access to that, so I can't submit anything for my client via MyWAM. I have to do it via fax well, um, or well, by letter. But, when you get the opportunity to testify in you know in committee, I think I, I would ask that you make sure that you mention that. That's certainly one of the things that I will push really hard to make sure is in our final recommendation. And I'll talk to the department and, you know, if need be, draft legislation to do that, because I think that's a critical um, component. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you. Yeah. You know I mean? It's not that much we can do, but when we find some opportunities, it's always important to try and knock them out. Great. But yeah, so where, you know, where do we go from here? What do people, what should people, if you're a claimant and you're like, I don't know what I should be doing. What advice would you give to claimants, you know, who are in that situation? So if they have had um, many weeks of it just saying ineligible week or disqualified week, and there's nothing actually in their determination tab, the determination tab is what claimants have to pay the most attention to. That starts ticking their their timeline to actually appeal and, and, and go forth with, um, if, if they've been denied for some reason. And if you don't appeal that, then that decision becomes final and you are out of luck. You're not gonna be able to get those benefits. Um, so the determination tab is the most important. Keep monitoring that and appeal within 30 days. Uh, and I would recommend doing it on your MyWAM account if you can. 
because that's going to show it's going to you you'll know that it was submitted on that day and you have proof that it was submitted on that day so there's no issue about the agency not receiving it on time and um so i would recommend doing that and if you do get a determination reach out to any of the claimant uh, services out here our clinic's free we're happy to look at it if we have the capacity now recognize that we are i it's me and one other attorney so we're um Definitely limited resources. So you have boundless capacity. You guys can see what five million people uh, over the next couple of weeks. Well, hopefully not. Um, but we <laughs> we do have a strong army of of law students that are very interested in wanting to help right now as well. So um, they are fielding a lot of the phone calls, and then we, I review them. Uh, I review uh, their the inquiries with along with the other attorney on staff, Andrea Van Hoven, and we uh, together make sure that we try to respond as best as we can. To figure and out what's how, going on. How long does that process typically last from time they call you to claim being adjudicated to getting paid? Well, it depends on what's actually wrong with their, like what's actually going on. If they've been denied, then um, it just, it's, it's on the agency to be able to respond to, to their denial um, after they protested or appealed it. So we'll help make sure that they actually do what they're supposed to do. The claimants do what they're supposed to do by protesting and appealing it. Um, and then the agency will either uh, reconsider their denial and grant benefits or not. Um, so it, it, it normally would take um, less than a month for us to get to an ALJ hearing, a hearing before a judge. Uh, we're, we're behind a little bit right now, understandably so, by the oh, yeah. sheer amount of people that are applying right now. Um, and so it's really up to the agency to, res to respond to the protests. Uh, but I also know that the agency is really trying to review those protests to ensure that they properly deny people. Mm -hmm. That's something that, that the, the claims examiners are doing the best that they can. And they're having to review a lot of claims and, they're, and they are going to have to sift through them. And recognize that the, the amount of people, that, that 8% or that the 6 to 7% or whatever the, the number is now of, what, of who hasn't been paid out, that's already probably more claims than all of last year that they're still having to review. This, yeah. In context, this is a lot. The agency had about 300,000 claims for all of 2019. And then in, they've had more than 300,000 claims per week recently. Yeah. So this is, they're doing a lot and they're doing it as fast as they possibly and humanly can. And mm -hmm. you do want that human to review your case because otherwise we have Midas, which we know has a 93% error rate. Mm -hmm. So you do want that human to look at it. You don't want a computer deciding it for you. Rachel, as, as you bring up Midas, can you talk a little bit about fraud? I, I know we got uh, briefed and there's been some discussion about, uh, you know, from the Secret Service and, and, and nationally that there are some highly sophisticated, uh, often international um, criminal syndicates that are now seeking to hack or file false claims or, or to do some of those kind of things. Can you talk a little bit of, about the the counterbalance of the need to protect and prevent from fraud, but also what that does to all claimants. You know, I, I think right now everyone is saying, hey, well, we need to get this out faster. We need to get them to people. But there is also this, this kind of push-pull of people saying, but we don't want any fraud. It's like, well, you know, how much, you know, what, it, what does preventing more fraud do to claimants? Right. So I think what's first important to recognize uh, is that Michigan is already pretty protected against fraud. Uh, we, uh, I was, our clinic was part of a working group uh, in 2016 that worked with the legislature uh, that had both claimant advocates, employer advocates, state advocates, 
uh, and we worked at, uh, with over 900 hours that went into these meetings to ensure that uh, we could respond properly to, to Midas, the false fraud scandal that charged all those people with fraud wrongly. And um, there are some, we've con they, the legislature considered this when and they passed the, the amendments in, at the end of 2017, nearly unanimously through both houses. And there are some significant measures in place, some identity verification requirements and things like that that are already in place for the agency to review. And the MIDA system right now is over-calibrated, I think, too far to one side to automatically deny benefits, to flag any possible issue. Now, I'm not saying that flags are bad or wrong. I think that we do need flags. I think that we just need proper flags. We need to make sure that they're actually flagging the people that you want them to flag rather than um, overly flagging people that should actually have gone through. And I think that if, if um, you know, if we actually looked at the logical formulas that went into programming it, we might be able to see um, where those issues are. Mm -hmm. But as far as uh, fraud goes, it is gonna hold up the system more because the agency doesn't want to pay out money to people that don't actually deserve it or entitled to it. They got it. That's part of why there's a delay. And there's a delay because it's a bottleneck. They have to look at everybody all at once. And normally there's enough people to look at everything so that they can do it quickly. But now we're trying to, to put 1.8 million people through the same bottleneck that normally had 5,000 people going through at the same time. So this is, this is it's, it's gonna hold up more claims. But at the end of the day, uh, the agency knows what it's doing in regards mm -hmm. to fraud and it's going to do a good job with it. Um, and as far as any, claimant getting charged with fraud who actually believed that they were entitled to either state benefits or federal benefits. Um, I'm hoping that I don't see that because generally most people that are applying right now, now I'm not gonna, I can't speak blanketly, but generally most people that are applying right now truly think that they might be eligible or entitled to something. Mm -hmm. um, and in order for the agency to allege fraud, they have to show intent. Mm -hmm. You have, they have to be able to, to prove that you intended to do something wrong. And you making a mistake on a, on a computer system that's very not intuitive. Mm -hmm. uh, and as we heard from even employers that they make mistakes. Uh, we heard at the last uh, committee hearing on Wednesday that an employer uh, did a keystroke wrong and that caused a, whole, a huge holdup. Mm -hmm. Look, we know that there's, this system is not really ideal right now for, for claimants or employers alike. It's not um, very user friendly at all. Mm -hmm. So you making a mistake is not fraud. And so I, 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 wanted, I wanted to make that distinction because I, I don't want people to be afraid of fraud again. I, I know that after the last false fraud scandal, um, Michigan suffered from, not, from many people not filing for benefits again. Right. Um, and the, uh, I have a nice graph I can share with you, Senator, of, of, of how many more claims were not filed after the false fraud yeah, you scandal. Have to send it to me. Um, and this is, and that's a problem, right? We don't want people to, to not get the benefits that they are entitled to that's going to help them stay in their house, to have food on the table. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point of why we have these things. And so, um, yeah, the, there, are, there are criminals out there that are going to try to find fraud. I don't think it's as widespread as, um, I mean, I think there are people that are doing it, but I think that it's not as widespread of a problem and it's certainly not as widespread of a claimant problem where mm -hmm. people that are filing because they did lose their job um, as, as I think it's, it might be projected to be. Well, is there anything else we need to know about UIA, about your clinic? It, can you give us the place that someone can go and get more information, uh, if they have an issue or, or just, you know, maybe some frequently asked questions or, 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 you know, some of the resources that I know you all provide? 
Yeah, so we um, we are a free clinic. You can call us at 734-936-2000. Uh, you'll have to leave a voicemail and then someone will call you back in a few days. Um, and please be patient with us. As I mentioned, we are also, uh, like I said, responding yeah. to hundreds of calls a day and there's two of us. Mm -hmm. um, so we are doing the best that we can, but we will call you back. Um, and if it's not, uh, it'll, it'll likely be one of our students. We also have an email account and we actually would prefer if you can email. Um, and so that email is law, L-A-W hyphen um, info. Hang on, let me look it up to make sure it's right. It's either law info UIC or law UIC dash info. I wanna make sure I give the right one. We appreciate that. Good information <laughs> is important and accurate at that. Right. Uh, so it's law, L-A-W hyphen UIC. Uh, that's our old clinic name, unemployment insurance clinic dash info at umich.edu, U-M-I-C-H.edu. So law hyphen U-I-C hyphen info at umich.edu. And you all are a, um, a part of the University of Michigan Law School. And ostensibly you have law students who are engaged. Could other attorneys who are interested volunteer or, or is that, you know? Well, yes, they can. And we also... Um, I'm working with all the claimant advocates that I know of in the state of Michigan. We, I maintain a, a Google group of all the claimant advocates in Michigan, and we are meeting every Monday um, right now during this time to make sure that we are all up to speed on what's going on. And uh, this is something that we plan to do for the foreseeable future. So if there's something that we can't handle because of capacity, I, I might be able to send them on to somebody who, who will have capacity to, to take it on. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, you know, spending some time with us and, you know, looking forward to getting you in front of the uh, Joint Select Committee and, and hearing your testimony and uh, making sure that your expertise is uh, both valued but included in, in the, the fact-finding and the report that we put together. Great. Thank you. And I encourage you to look at the, the memo of legislative ideas that I have that will help the, the people of the state of Michigan uh, to ensure that they are covered uh, during their time of need. I will, and we'll post a link um, up on our website and, and when we post this video as well. Great. This is the We Can Do Better podcast with Adam O'Leary, talking about Michigan's second Senate district, featuring stories from Detroit, Gross Point, Hamtramck, Harper Woods, and Highland Park, told by the people doing the work, and myself, Senator Adam O'Leary.